This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Steve Cumbia, VP of Technology at ACS Technologies, joins Ledge in this enlightening chat about the role of faith in their technology company's surprising longevity. ACS Technologies began building software for churches and other faith-based organizations in 1977. Steve shares how faith underpins their company culture and how it drives the business in a deeper way than any mission statement. Steve shares the inspiring story of how their company has adapted to changes in the industry over more than four decades, a lifespan atypical of software companies. Steve shares the inspiring story of how their company has adapted to changes in the industry for over more than four decades, a lifespan atypical of software companies. He reflects on how he's personally adapted to these changes and talks about how he's transitioned from writing code to managing a full technology organization. Steve, it's really good to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Les, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Can you just give a quick background story of yourself and your work so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, I'm the vice president of technology at a company called ACS Technologies, and we're based in Florence, South Carolina. And what we do and have been doing since 1977 is build software for churches and other faith-based organizations. And so I leave all the technology development, the IT, and, and DevOps at our company. And before we hit record, you uh, you were telling me some of the history stories of some of this. I mean, you guys started when this was a pretty radical thing. I'd love if you told a little bit of the stories of the, the legacy technology going back. Well, yeah, I like to tell people we started in 1977 to build software for churches, which was sort of a crazy idea. And I like to tell people we started we were a startup when it wasn't really cool to be a startup. Um, You know, it was just seen as kind of dumb. But, you know, where we started was a computer system called DataPoint, which the term used to be a mini computer system. So all there were at the time were big mainframes and then then this new kind of version of a smaller business oriented uh, product. Uh, and that's where we first built our, our first uh, applications on. You know, we're running on like eight inch diskettes and maybe 64K of memory. Uh, with a, of course, the character based user interface. Good old monochrome. Yep. Did, did they even have like dot matrix printers for those back then? Or was it, was it sort of like. Yeah, we, we did. We had dot matrix printers. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were some hard drives. I think we got a. The first hard drive we got was maybe five meg and <laughs> incredibly excited. To have that was that. huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, okay. So 1977, right. And you know, here we are 2019, that's an extraordinary longevity for a software company. And, and I think I'm going to take the leap that that, you know, really has something to do with the, the grounding and, and mission and, and, you know, sort of vision of, of what you guys do. And uh, you know, off mic, we were, we're talking about that, that this anchoring mission, um, you know, just talk about how that fits into the, the corporate culture and the development of, of a software company, because it's, it's not something you hear all the time. Although I do think there are examples of sort of, you know, pet projects or things like that. Uh, but that core sort of ethos of ministry, you know, how does, how does that fit in the world with you guys? Well, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll start today in 2019. And when, when we go out and we talk to co- other companies that are 
trying to appeal to millennials and to the younger younger generations. Um, you know, they want to they want to do cool things, and they also want to they also want to have a mission associated with their company, and it, it might be um, it might be anything. But for us, that's how we started. So when we started in '77, the company was started by uh, a man whose father was a minister and another man who was a minister, and um, you know, they, they got a group of like-minded people to put up some investment dollars to start the company. And as we've, as we've grown from there, one of the things that we've seen is that um, uh, we, you know, in, in Florence, South Carolina, there's challenges in hiring people uh, in the computer industry. <clears throat> and, and that's the case anywhere now. And so, um, you know, what we found is we've been able to, to hire people who thought of the job as part of their personal ministry and uh, enjoyed the work and enjoyed who the, our clients were. And so we've been able to keep uh, our, our good people for much longer than average in, in the computer industry. And, and that's still true today um, in, in our outreach to um, new hires. Uh, it's not required, but often people find us very appealing as an employer um, because of the culture and because of the folks we serve. Yeah, and I, I imagine that, that that does fit well into the you know particularly generational changes. And I mean, being being there from the start, you you must have seen now you've worked with with four different generations of uh, ministry minded you know individuals and and, now, and software engineers. I mean, you know, just talk a little bit about some stories there. Well, that's an interesting question. I think um, you know. Programming itself, the heart of it hadn't really changed in all this time. You're, you're still solving problems. You're still writing code. Um, and, and you mentioned that uh, for our company, you know, being around since 1977 is pretty, pretty good longevity, especially in our market. I mean, we've seen, seen several revolutions of change as we've, um, as we've uh, progressed through the years. You know, first it was, as I mentioned, this, the birth of the personal computing uh, industry you know, started with CPM. And, uh, you know, we made that transition from data point. Then when the IBM PC came out, that's when the, the church world really started to adopt our, um, our solution. You know, we, IBM was king then. So being able to, you know, look at the, the device and see IBM logo and it gave us some trust. So we went through this long period of, of success with DOS and then Windows came out. And so we had to make that transition each. And, and in today's world, you know, we, we are trying to enable our products for the Internet. So they should be accessible from within any, from anywhere with, with any device. And, you know, now there's a lot more, you know, a need to specialize in front end, back end service, um, mobile development, whatever. But at the heart of it, they're all still doing the same thing. And it's, the, the same things we look for when we hire somebody in the 80s, it's really very similar now. Um, you know, we're looking for people who um, see the work as what they do for fun first, right? So, you know, one of our big interview questions is, what do you do for fun? And, and often they'll say, well, I like, to, I like to play around with technology. I like to code. I like to do this or that. That's Maybe that's more prevalent these days because there's so many more avenues uh, where a person could do that but you know it's it's different but it's uh it's really the same <laughs> absolutely is yeah and i mean how many how many full rewrites have you done in in that period i mean can you even count and, and i mean even the the way you manage a software project has 
fully evolved. There, there was just no such thing as, you know, agile or any thinking of that, that nature years ago. So, I mean, you've seen so much in the industry. I don't think a lot of people can tell those stories. Yeah. So uh, initially me, there was me and a couple other programmers and we did everything. We, we wrote the code, we designed the, the, the screens, we designed the reports, we tested everything. We built the deployment, we made the diskettes and we sent them out and often we supported the product. Um, and with that, that lasted through the, the, the DOS age. And, um, when we started building a product for windows, um, you know, first of all, our first Windows product was Windows 3.1.1. I don't know if you know what that means, but it was not a very stable platform, especially for a database. And so there were a lot of issues. So when we started building um, for Windows, we, we actually created a testing department. So we had people uh, dedicated to, to testing the, the application itself. And uh, it just wasn't sufficient for developers to do that anymore. And, um, you know, then that, that transition from DOS to Windows, I mean, there was probably 100 church software products out there and only two or three made it made the transition to Windows. Uh, so, you know, we were successful with that. We still have a very large desktop solution uh, out there uh, or install base out there. Uh, but when we started when we started um, the, our first web application, um, things got even more complex. So, um, you know, that's where we started having to get into automation and, you know, automated testing and things like that. And, um, so it, it, uh, the other thing that changed, and this is another big revolution in the industry, of course, is, is when we, when you build a web-based product, your, your user base expands, right? So, um, you go from a couple of staff people that you can train and, and, and help, um, all the time to, anybody in the world uh, using your application and these are people you can't really train and they have high expectations because they're using, you know, they're using their banking software, they're using Facebook, they're using whatever, and that's what they expect. And so, you know, we, when we started building web applications and mobile apps, we started, what really changed there was getting into design and learning how to work with and understand what user experience was and, and how to, fold that into the development process. So along with that, we started, you know, started out with agile practices and, and, you know, instead of, you know, our, our process was waterfall before that. So we, we took a bit of time to decide what we were going to do and plan it out. And then we took a block of programming time. Then we took a block of testing time and I'm talking months. And then we, and we documented the process. And of course, what always happened was programming time took longer than you thought. So your test and your documentation time gets compressed and don't get a good result that way. Um, so as we ap- approached Agile, we really saw that as a quality initiative. So how can we build quality in every sprint so that when we do releases, which we do more frequently, that they're much more quality based. So Agile and then folding in UX to that uh, and now thinking about DevOps and in the sense of we're building the architecture with the infrastructure for hosting in mind, and we're building the infrastructure with the architecture in mind and having that permeate our culture. That's where we're at now. So, I mean, you have personally had to learn all these things enough to both lead them and teach them. What's, what's your learning investment and philosophy? I mean, it must have been 
just absolutely constant for that entire period of time. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's just, that just comes with this type of a job, right? You, you have to always be learning. Things are changing all the time. Now, I, there was a point in time where I transitioned personally from the, from doing, from actually writing code into managing projects, managing people, et cetera. And, and so then you have to hire really good people and you got to be smart enough to understand what's going on behind the scenes, right? You, you have to, the concepts still apply, right? You're still trying to, um, you know, write efficient code that manages resources effectively, uh, et cetera. Um, but I'll tell you where the biggest, the biggest barrier for us being in Florence, South Carolina. Uh, and, you know, we've had offices in Seattle and Phoenix and, and we have a new office in Greenville, South Carolina now, but for us, it was design and it was user experience and learning how to bridge that gap. I actually got a master's degree um, in human factors um, a couple of years ago, um, because I, I felt like, um, you know, there just isn't a design community anywhere near us that we have access to. And, um, and I felt like I had to make that investment and it was really beneficial for our, for me. And I think for our company and the next ev evolution probably in, in the workforce and in, in engineering really becomes, we see it all the time is the, you know, sort of remote and distributed teams are you dabbling yeah. in, in that at all because you're not, you're actually not going to be limited to geography anymore and, and the technology infrastructure has evolved rapidly to support that yeah we we, we do way more than dabble in that about 40 percent of our development group is not in florence so um we have offices and like i said we have one in phoenix now and we have one in greenville south carolina now but we also have folks who are all over the place and, you know, just wherever. And so we've had to embrace that just to get the talent that we need to be able to, to do what we're trying to do. So, um, you know, how do you manage? Well, Agile helps you with that, right? So you have a daily scrum and you have a very set um, uh, rhythm of meetings or we call them ceremonies, but you have a set rhythm where you're in contact. And then we use tools like Slack. Slack is we couldn't live without something like Slack. So the teams are constantly in, comp in um, conversation over Slack. And with tools like Slack and with Google Hangout, um, you know, if, if the conversation becomes more complicated, you can always jump online and, and have a video chat. And that's how we operate now. And one, of the, one of the things I've found, though, you know, we have some teams that are, that are co-located. So we have some teams here and they're fully here. And then we have teams that are fully remote. If you get a team that's part one way and part the other, those are the ones that struggle. So if you got one guy that's remote on a team of five or six people, that doesn't work very well. It's it's just hard to make that leap um, and to do the things you have to do to have effective communications. So that's a challenge. We we try to try to stay sensitive to that. Um, but anyone who's kind of launching into the remote worker world. It's all about communication. It's, it's, you know, you got to have really, you got to be disciplined about it. You, you just can't let that one person slide uh, or it just won't work. Yeah. The, a lot of the tech leaders yeah. that I've, I've talked to also are trying different approaches to that hybrid team, you know, where there's, there's four people together and four people uh, distinctly remote, you know, not co-located together. Some of the best practices seem to be, you know, well, Everybody who's in the office 
you got to act like you're in, distributed and remote. So we have effectively eight individual remote people who some of whom actually sit in the same space, but you, you need to use the tools as if everyone was remote. And that seems to be the only way that the folks right now are bridging the hybrid kind of gap. There. Yeah, that, that that's for sure. And, and sometimes you have to be at the other end of it. So, you know, if you're on a team that's mostly co-located, you, you know, work from home one day a week and see what it's like, or here's what we see. It's kind of funny. We have people who were spread out and then now they've come together in this Greenville office. They don't go back to, well, they don't, they don't embrace the being together as much. They still act like they're remote. It's just sort of interesting. They'll still talk on Slack, even though they're sitting right next to each other. Yeah. And I remember when work moved that direction for the first time for me and I'm like, this is funny. You know, we all just sit here and chat each other. And, um, and yet there was no such infrastructure for even thinking about being remote. Um, but, you know, the workforce quickly co-opted AIM Instant Messenger, you know, because it was just, wow, this this really works. And, and management, IT didn't know what to do with that. This is a security disaster. But you know, um, I think it seems like teams are going to take the course of least resistance, you know, to get the, the work done. Right. That's what happens. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, for a company like ours, we still struggle with it. Uh, you know, the development group is pretty comfortable with the remote management stuff. Um, the rest of the company, not so much because, you know, they don't have that, that um, you know, their talent pool isn't so restricted. You know, we were talking about before we started how, how um, hiring and, and keeping technical folks these days is really hard. You know, it's just way more demand than there is supply. You know, it's a, almost a negative. I've heard some people describe nationally that we're, you know, at a 20% shortage um, of qualified engineers and, yeah. and uh, you know, match that up with a, a growing economy and software eating the world. You know, it's almost unavoidable that we'll face some kind of issues, which I think, broadly speaking in a macro sense, you know, it helps to explain major cultural shifts like DevOps and things of that nature. If you can't get more humans, you need to get more productive with every minute of, of human time. That's our story. We have to be. And, and I think to get back to the kind of mission idea, that's, that's one of the things that helps us keep people, um, keep good people that they, they like what we're doing. They like our clients. You know, they use our products. You know, we, we have a solution for checking in kids on Sunday morning. And so it's a security measure. And it, if you think about it, at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, all up and down the East Coast, and it shifts with time zones, right? Our system is, is peaking because there's folks, thousands and thousands of parents dropping off their kids, printing badges, interacting with our product. I, I do that on Sunday myself, <clears throat> print out those little badges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the cool part of that is, is we do that. Our folks do that. Um, you know, our, our employees do that. Our developers do that. They run the kiosk sometimes. And, you know, so we use the product and <clears throat> we make sure that thing works. Right. Because that, that's a big black eye. If you can't, um, if you, if you go into church on Sunday morning and, and that system's down. That's right. chaos. It's, it's chaos always chaos when production right. is down. But yeah, you know, when nobody has a backup plan for that. And, uh, you know, everybody in it strikes me like everybody in your customer 
chain or your value chain, you know, is, is reasonably capital constrained, you know, that's the nature of, of that time, uh, type of environment. And, uh, you know, you have to do more with less broadly speaking. I mean, let's face it, we have churches that are, you know, and especially in the South that, that are pretty big and pretty well-funded, but, um, you know, overall that cohort and it, from a nonprofit perspective, schools, churches, you know, is, is not someone that you, you know, get into SaaS software and think I'm going to make a killing here. No, it's like I, I say, we, we build an enterprise solution, but we don't really charge an enterprise price for the most part. So, you know, how can we provide in today's world a system that, that does the job? Um, those, are, those are our challenges. We have to be really efficient and um, focused. And, you know, we have to make sure we build the right things. I mean, that shouldn't that sometimes goes without saying, but, you know, there's a big effort in this company to make sure we're building the things that people need. And, and we measure that. So when we release a product or a feature, we look immediately at how it's being used. And, um, and almost always our stuff gets used heavily, but sometimes we miss some art there too. So Steve, last, last question. I appreciate all your insights today. Advice for folks who are, trying to build up an engineering team and, and uh, you know, are, are looking for that mission driven, maybe even ministry driven kind of approach. You know, you, you, you've done a lot, you've seen a lot, uh, probably tried some things that, that didn't work. Uh, what are some major takeaways for that? Well, um, let me go a couple of different directions with this one. One of the things we've had most success with in the last five years is interns. So, you know, we're, we we did a really strong outreach to, to local the local university here, Francis Marion. But we also have the University of South Carolina. We have Clemson University. We have uh, Furman University. There's several others in South Carolina that we've built really tight relationships with. And we, we have good relationships with the professors that lead computer science and other departments. And we get like they're, you know, in these, these departments, especially the smaller colleges, they might graduate seven or eight people a year, but the, the programs are hard and those seven, eight people are pretty good and we'll get the best one as an intern. And when we get an intern, we give them real work to do. You know, we'll, we'll give them, you know, we're, we're doing some stuff with Go and Go Language and Couchbase now. And these are newer technologies. They're more cutting edge. And we'll get them to learn that stuff and build something with it. And you pretty quickly, you know, it's, a, it's a job interview, really. And for us and for them, it's a good experience. So we'll, we've hired a number of interns, probably 15 in the last three years, um, somewhere in that number. And they are some of our best performers, um, even more so than someone who's been doing the job 20 years, sometimes. So there, there's that angle. Um, the other angle is as much as possible, give the development teams autonomy and ownership of the problems that, that we're trying to solve. You know, we've, we've made the mistake of saying, this is how you're going to do it and do it this way. And I want to talk about it. Um, but they do a lot better if, if they feel like they have some room to, to learn and grow explore and come up with their own solution to the problem and that could be that could be the tech stack it could be whatever 
And uh, one of the one of the companies we've looked at and learned from is uh, Spotify. They have a, a series of videos about how they've launched Agile and, and really post Agile. And there's a lot of really smart thinking in, in those videos. Um, but definitely embrace Agile or some component of Agile. And I, I know there's a lot of stuff out there now that's negative, but you know, you got to make it work for you and um, find your sweet spot with it. And um, everyone will appreciate that if you do it. Steve, thanks so much. Fantastic insights. Great to have you on today. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.